This episode, you meet a special guest who is never officially a Pink Panther. However, he's got pink stories coming out the years. Uh, Major General Mike Warden was the uh, Air Force starting quarterback, 74 and 75. He was also a uh, veteran of foreign conflicts, a fighter pilot, uh, a major general. And now he's retired and, and lives in the Northwest uh, near me. And we uh, go to Seahawk games together. You guys will be very impressed with some of this stuff. I, I hope you really enjoy this. Hey, John. Hey, Mike. Thank, thanks for being part of this. No problem. So, uh, as advertised, I like to ask the, uh, the original, the, the opening question is always, what message do you have for the uh, incoming class, the current cadets, the recent grads, and the, uh, the old goats like us who will be listening to this? I would say that uh, do your very best in everything you do. Uh, and that's a commitment to excellence that you'll hear as soon as you get to the academy. And I think it'll lead to success, not only at the academy, but also later on in life, whatever, whatever you choose to do, whether you stay in the military very long or whether you get into the civilian sector. So just uh, have your own personal commitment to excellence. Do the best you can in every, everything that you do. Well, and you are a great example of that, General, General Warden. <laughs> um, <laughs> Now, I know that uh, there would be a lot of people, at least initially listening to this, that are wondering, what is a guy who had nothing to do with the Pink Panthers doing on this uh, interview? And if you could explain to us kind of the opposite approach that, Ron, your, your first year roommate took to the Academy experience. <laughs> yeah. So I, I can't remember what year it was, but I uh, was told by, uh, for some of you that remember, Colonel, I think it was Colonel Plum, who was the fourth group AOC uh, came to my, and my squadron command or my uh, AOC, uh, Mike Kennedy, I think is his name, came into my room and said, Hey, we need you to, to uh, <clears throat> take on somebody who's coming in from another squadron and um, need to make sure that this guy graduates. And uh, so <laughs> I was kind of wondering <clears throat> what was I getting into? <clears throat> and 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 how am I a cadet going to tell a major and a I think he was a lieutenant colonel um, at the time? Uh, no, sir, I don't want him. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't know who he was, and so I said yes, sir. And then I think it was the next either next semester, or next quarter, or later <clears throat> when people were kind of pairing up for for uh, roommates. Uh, I knew I. I couldn't pair up with anybody. So I got issued a guy named Ron Barron, <laughs> my classmate. And um, he, uh, he came, we met, how you doing? I was, um, you know, busy and uh, doing my thing. I thought he'd be doing his thing. We get to get to know each other a little bit. Well, he was a very uh, outgoing guy and I thought we got along great. And then, uh, I didn't know what kind of, I knew he was academically really smart, like in physics and in, and other, other things. But I also knew that he was, I don't know if he'd been on aptitude probation or what, but I, I know that he was, uh, he was not, he was not on the commandant's list. That's for sure. <laughs> so anyway, he came in and I, I do have a few memories you guys had an AOC in the Pink Panthers that had a Hispanic name. Alvarez, uh, Bert Alvarez, yep. Bert Alvarez, that's it, that's it. Yep. 
now the name comes back to me. <clears throat> and so I'm, I heard from um, somebody else in 36 that, because uh, I was asking around guys that I had either in class together or, or I just knew, and I, 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 and I asked him, who's this, <clears throat> tell me a little bit about this Ron Barron guy. And somehow I got the word that uh, Ron Barron was uh, dealing with uh, Dooley's and he had them report around to his room and he was really kind of pulling their chain. And, um, and then when, you know, uh, mooning was, was big uh, when we were at, at the Academy. And um, so he was not, he was going down to, uh, I guess, Dooley rooms and knocking on the door and they would uh, open the door and he'd moon him, you know, right there in the hall. <laughs> and, um, and anyway, so he, he went back to his room uh, and I think it was after call to quarters or whatever. And he, um, there was a knock on his door. So he got up on that little step ladder that we had in the room and he, he bent over, pulled his pants down at eye level and the door opened and it was the AOC. <laughs> <laughs> and so Ron, I guess, marched a lot of tours off of that. And I'm sure that didn't help help his cause to stay in the squadron. <laughs> so anyway, so I started hearing these stories about, about this guy. And um, again, as I said, when we came in, I think we got along fine, but I was hearing these, these things about him and I kind of had... A, a, a little bit of leeriness uh, around him, uh, not knowing what the uh, the unpredictable is going to be. And of course, when I'm uh, his roommate, it's in the fall and I'm in football. So I'm hardly ever in. I'm coming in typically, you know, after seven at night and I'm gone all the weekends and stuff like this. So my social time with him was very limited. And when I was coming in, I was pretty tired and I, I had to do my homework and then uh, get to sleep. Right. And uh and uh, he started uh, asking me lots of questions, and I was trying to be polite and say, yeah, and, and, and get back with, to my homework and stuff like this. And then uh, he knew I, I wasn't going to uh, be firm with him, so he, he started needling me. You know? So I think where we left off was I was saying he was coming in. I was during football season. I was tired. I was trying to get to my homework. And after a while, he knew I wasn't pushing back hard. So he started needling me. I had a, an away game and I came back and I had found out that they had a SAMI inspection when I was gone. And so when they, the cadet squadron commander at the time, my classmate, um, came and told me afterwards that they came into my room and that Ron Barron had bought a life-size teddy bear and had dressed the teddy bear in my uniform <laughs> and had the bear uh, standing up against the wall at parade rest with, uh, uh, you know, those little M1 rifles we had, uh, you know, at, uh, you know, at Port Arms, not at Port Arms, but uh, just down by his side, you know. Yeah. And, um and so, and then he, of course, was across the room facing it, and he was, you know, at attention or at uh, parade rest or whatever it was that we were at when we got our rooms inspected during Saturday morning inspections. And so, uh, uh, and on the, he put a name tag on, it was, didn't say warden, 
it said Betty Tear instead of te- you know dyslexic teddy bear, right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, and of course, the AOC who was accompanying the inspection team uh, almost lost it. Uh, I mean, uh, laughing because we had yeah. a really good AOC, Kennedy, Mike Kennedy. And so, uh, anyway, uh, uh, they left, and everybody was, of course, hilariously laughing. They couldn't keep their composure to inspect the room properly, and they left. And then, of course, I heard about it. Yeah. And uh, and then I heard about it from, uh, I think it was uh, Jerry uh, Jerry McFarlane. I think he was a cadet squadron okay. commander then. And then, and it was kind of funny and stuff. And and then I heard it from Mike Kennedy, Major Mike Kennedy, who was the AOC, who said, you know, you need to straighten this guy out. <laughs> so, so I come back and, you know, I, 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 I confronted him and I say, hey, open up your locker. I uh, just, I'm just curious. So he opened it up and there was this life-size teddy bear back there. And I said, I understand, um, uh, the teddy bear made the uh, made the inspection on Saturday. He said, "Oh yeah, yeah, he represented you well." <laughs> so I knew that this guy was a practical joker, right? Yeah. And uh, I also knew he was smart because he was hardly ever doing homework. And I know he had good grades. He's on the dean's list, right? So here's a dean's list guy without uh, a lot of acumen to doing homework. And uh, so my conclusion, even at that young age, was this dude is bored. He is bored. (laughs) And uh, the the academy's not challenging him enough. He's not into the military stuff. So, um, uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting semester, whatever it was. So, so um, he, uh, so the next thing that happens was uh, there were several friends of mine in uh, my squadron, 35, and um, they were um, they would all get together and 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 invite um, a couple of them had girlfriends and they would always invite those girlfriends would invite other girlfriends to the football games. Right. Yeah. And then after we sat together and everything else, you could kind of spread out a little bit and then you could go over and sit whatever the empty seats with the with the, some of these girls. Right. So the cluster of them had Ron Barron there. And the next thing I know is um, the uh, uh, we had a game. It was a home game. It was after the game. And I came back to the squadron uh, early next week. And uh, apparently um, Ron took the Ted, life-size teddy bear to the game, <laughs> dressed him up in my uniform, <laughs> And whenever I made a bad play, you know, he started punching the bear and inviting others to punch the bear or or something like that. Yeah. And so, um, so fast forward a little bit. Now I didn't know this, you know, as, cause nobody bothered to tell me. And, but I dated this girl about two or three weeks later and went on a date after the home game. And she mentioned to me this, this teddy bear that had my name on it that was being passed around the stands. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how I found out about it. And that girl that uh, I had a date with back that time ended up being my wife. 
well, that, so, that worked so, out. <laughs> so that's, uh, yeah, so that, that was a, a pretty interesting story about Ron Barron. But I think the best cadet story I had about Ron Barron was it was our spring semester. We were getting ready to graduate. And all I knew is when, when football season stopped and stuff like that, then um, Ron was always marching tours. So I, I had more awareness that he was marching tour and he was on App Pro all the time. And during the winter, uh, I came back. It was after football season. I think I was in AM 490 uh, doing free fall parachuting. And I came back one weekend and found out that my entire room, our entire room, was gray. The walls were gray. And everything, it smelled like smoke. Well, what he had done was he had one night, he had opened the window and created a rocket launcher and had launched a rocket across the terrazzo from fourth group and the new dorms or the carpet dorms where we were uh, all the way across the terrazzo. He launched it at uh, the um, the command post uh, <laughs> because he was mad at the AOC and I guess the tours that he'd walked that day. He thought he was being abusive and singling him out. He thought he was an asshole. So he, sh he fired rockets away across <laughs> the Toronto. And, um, and I guess they were really lit up because some of the classmates told me that, you know, of course they knew where it was coming from, but it was my room and it was our room. So, I could just see him trying to uh, wash the curtains and and scrub the <laughs> the scrub the walls that were used to be white, and so uh, he got in bad trouble for that. You know, I had an excuse because I wasn't there, but you know, uh, he didn't. And so he, uh, that's another thing. He was just so smart in physics that he was just bored. I thought. And then the other thing he did was in the halls, and he did this with our dualies. He would fire those, you know, he'd, he'd tape a bunch or duct tape a bunch of um, tennis ball cans together. Yeah. And he put a lighter fluid at one end <laughs> and he'd load them with balls. Boom. Dip them in. Yeah. And they came, these, these balls came out and he, he, I don't know if he found a way to make them flaming or if he just yeah, shot no, them out. Dip them in the lighter. We, we yeah. keep that in 36. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, everything is that, but, I mean, it, but a little a little different it was going down carpet this time and not not down the the the, the floor so anyway uh, yeah. so he he uh he kept his uh tour uh consistency up yeah uh but the best story of him as a cadet was when we were uh about to graduate and i i don't know i was a cadet squadron commander for one of the tours and then i was a group uh deputy commander another tour another tour both of them off the football so i think i was yeah i was a group guy i okay. was a group de group deputy commander fourth group deputy commander spring semester senior year and uh he um and he was still my roommate and uh so um we went uh i was down there and colonel plumb was a fourth group aoc and um um, he says, you need to go talk to your roommate. And I'm thinking, oh, what's he up to now? This is graduation week. <laughs> so I go back and he's back and, you know, academics are wound down. People are getting in, in the in the mode of, of getting out of there. And Ron, um, I said, what's going on, Ron? I, Colonel Plum just, you know, got me, told me to come up and ask you what the hell's going on. 
Well, he said, well, here, I've got some pictures. Let me show you. <laughs> you know, And he has this picture uh, of um, him in a leather jacket, yep. a five-star pit helmet, yep. five-star uniform, looked like it was taken out of some South American costume <laughs> party. Yep. And a he had breeches on and a whip like Patton and yep. these high black boots. Yeah. And he is he is there with sunglasses on and he has his little uh, whip thing up against the chin of the AOC major Mike Kennedy and Mike Kennedy is against the wall at attention. Oh, wow. And so he had he had a photographer with him to take that picture uh, right during uh, graduation week. And then he shows, so he shows me this and I go, geez. Then he says, well, yeah, you'll, if you like that, you'll like this. So <laughs> then he pulls it out and he shows me a picture of Colonel Plum with his chin in <laughs> and, and, and his, uh, his little riding whip, you know, at, on the chin of, and, you know, he's kind of like going face to face and chewing him out, you know, and he's got sunglasses on, you know, you know, it's Ron Barron in that, in that uniform. Sure, sure. And then he, then he gets another picture and it's the commandant of cadets. Jerome Beck, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 so he had um he had gone up the chain apparently with his photographer. And then he told me, he says, but the best part of all, and he had uh I can't remember if he, he got in the soup or not, but I knew he I knew he got the commandant. And he goes, you know what the best thing of this was? He says, I just walked back and forth across the terrazzo and let all these officers salute me. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I, I got even with him. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so there's a tremendous free spirit, a brilliant guy, but just the Academy uh, offerings just kept him aboard. And he did real well academically. He did very lousy <laughs> aptitude rise, which is why uh, uh, the Pink Panthers lost him uh, over to 35. Uh, but it was, I think, only for a year, and uh, we graduated together, got our pictures together, and we graduated, and uh, he, yeah, he made it, and then I ran into him in the Air Force a little bit uh, later on, which I'll tell you about if, if you ask. Uh, any other comments on that? Well, I just, for the crowd listening in, we used to graduate in order of merit, and it wasn't until I was putting uh, a reunion together about 10 years ago with my squadron classmates that I saw that Ron graduated number 907 mm -hmm. and I graduated number 906. <laughs> and I never knew that because we were even odd on in the seating. So he was across the aisle from me. I had no clue that we were that close in the barrel of the uh, cadets. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm sure he didn't score any higher in apt in the aptitude side, but uh, what a great free spirit he was and uh, a sense of humor uh, that was, um, sometimes a little overbearing and irritating, but most of the time really delightful. And I think and that, I, that's one of the messages that we're the theme of all these things. Stories is we tried to, as a as a group to have fun, blow off some mm -hmm. steam, not mm -hmm. do anything negative, but have it have as much fun and just comedy and, and laughter involved. And yeah. you, you're you're bringing a lot of yeah. joy and tears tears of joy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he was he was a uh, you know wherever he went he was the center of attention and uh, you know, i mean my my classmates would tell tell me i mean i got a picture if you look in our yearbook uh, 35 that's our squadron we're standing on the 
on the um, on the chapel steps. It's the senior pitcher. We're all together, and uh, Ron brings a um, a big bag of uh, black uh, clear lensed glasses, uh-huh. and so we all put them on. <laughs> and Ron's standing there with this this blank eating grin <laughs> right in the middle. <laughs> and we're all, we're all buying into it. We all put on our glasses, you know, uh, and it, it's a, it's a funny picture. When you go to your yearbook, uh, go ahead and look at it. That was Ron's idea. Uh, and he was, he was a spark plug. He was typically the center of attention, whether it was in the um, squadron meeting room, I think we used to call them yeah. or, or, um, or out and about or at a party. Uh, he was a nonstop ever ready um, bunny full of energy and, uh, and, and humor. So um, uh, what a great addition to the squadron and to its personality. So thank you, uh, Pink Panthers for Ron Barron. So I can tell you, he learned the Coke can cannon idea from Steve Hall. <laughs> he used to take our tallest yeah. nuts and yeah. have them uh, kind of make a step ladder across the hallway, so they, yeah. they would they would go all the way up to the ceiling. He would dress up in that old World War II Army Air Corps uniform, yeah, pretend like he's walk stepping over his his peers on his way to the top of the ladder, and we take yeah. pictures of that. Yeah. yeah, that's Ron Barron and and Steve Hall and I uh, were in the same squadron uh, when we when we were second lieutenants, okay. and so I knew Steve. He was my F four backseater for. Um, that was crazy, you know. A couple of first lieutenants in the same airplane, oh, <laughs> crazy. That's not, that's not just bad head work on whoever signed that deal. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. We had a great time though, and Steve was a great guy too, or is a great guy. What a great sense of humor he has, and his. I think his wife is named Gisela, and uh, uh, at least at the time, I don't know if he remarried, but uh, we had a blast with them and at Spangdolm in Germany, and in, in I don't know late seventies. It was great great fun with uh, another pink panther steve hall so i don't this will turn into a reunion uh, of of you know uh, webb and steve hall and all the guys in 36 that uh that we all in 35 knew so well anyway but let's uh let's move well, on to yeah to, well let me ask you because you you've kind of hinted around a little bit but um and everybody knows your name that we're in our class yeah. what what got you to the Air Force Academy after, and where did you grow up and that kind of stuff? Because that's what the, a lot of the audience want to know more about your uh, your life prior and what got you in there. Well, this is not going to be very inspiring for the cadets that are listening. Uh, but <laughs> but I was, uh, I went to high school in L.A. Uh, and uh, I was on a pretty good uh, um, athletic teams, baseball and football and and did well in high school and was recognized well in high school and got recruited in those two sports uh, pretty broadly. And, um, and, and part of that package included a, um, a flight and a tour at Annapolis for the Navy Academy and, and then a, a, a flight and a tour to West Point and then a flight and a tour to the Air Force Academy, uh, as well as some other, you know, civilian colleges and stuff like that. Uh, that I did uh, during the spring of my senior year. And so um, I came back and one of my buddies, uh, I had two really close buddies 
actually I had three or four close buddies and most of them were on a football team. One of them's name was Rich Ritchie. <clears throat> and uh, he was a starting tackle on our football team in high school. And, and then I had another good friend who was a center and his name's happened to be Joe Lang. And, and they were just so fired up all the way through high school about going to the Air Force Academy. And uh, I wasn't. Uh, I, I didn't care if I flew airplanes or, you know, I wasn't one of these kids that said, you know, I got to fly or I got to be a fighter pilot or I got to join the Air Force or go to Colorado or anything like that. Um, so one day uh, the, the, the two of them came up to me and said, hey, uh, we're going to Air Force Academy. We've been accepted. Um, and... Um, uh, we want to know if uh, you're going to go. And I said, well, I'll, well, sure, I'll apply. And he says, we got to get a nomination, all this other stuff. I said, well, my dad was a finance officer in the Air Force, so I think I can get a presidential. So I got a presidential. And and besides, the Air Force Academy football team was going to make sure I was going to come anyway. So they recruited Rich and me. And they didn't recruit Joe Lang, even though he was an all-league center, but he just he was so fired up about going over there. So yeah. Joe and Rich come up to me and say hey it's time to go you guys are you going <laughs> and I said well I'm supposed to play in this um, all-state all-star game uh, that's in I think it was in July <laughs> and so I said I can't go if I play in this game I you know I, I'll, I'll be late to the academy he says you can't be late you either go or you don't go and yeah. so a day prior uh I, I said, well, I don't know if I'm going to go. So you guys get ready to go. And then the next time I get a call from him, he says, hey, well, at least take us to the airport, us, us and the girlfriend. So I go to my dad like the <laughs> night before, two nights before. I said, dad, can I borrow a Plymouth station wagon and drive to LAX? And I'm going to take uh, Joe and his girlfriend and Rich and his girlfriend. And, the, you know, uh, we'd like to take the, the big Chry uh, Chrysler station wagon. I said, he said, OK, sure. You can take them up there and I says, are they committed to go? Are they going to go to the Air Force Academy? And I said, yeah, they're going to go. And then I come back about 10 minutes later and say, hey, Dad, can you buy me a one-way ticket to Colorado Springs? <laughs> <laughs> and, and he says, are you sure you want to go for the right reasons? And I said, well, Dad, they're calling me a, uh, you know, they're calling me a, at the time, it was jargon a pussy. They called me a pussy that I couldn't make it and all this other stuff. And um, so he said, you shouldn't be going on a dare. You should have more to it than that. And I said, <laughs> well, Dad, I... And he was he was in the Air Force. He was Lieutenant Colonel Finance Officer at the Finance Center in L.A. And so uh, uh, I said, Dad, well, I... I I want to, I want to be in the air force too. Let me just give it a shot. And if I don't like it, I'll, I'll be home soon. And, uh, and so, um, um, that's how I went. I went and I, I, I got in the car, drove them. Like there was the, you didn't have all the uh, post nine 11 stuff there. So I drove them, drop them off. <laughs> they said, I got your bags guys. And they, of course they're tearing, their girlfriends are tearing up. So we got them out of the car. I, um, I hauled all the bags, uh, you know, to the, to check them in and stuff like that. And I had a bag of my own that I threw in there. They didn't see that. And I had a ticket in my pocket too. Wow. So we went up there. I followed them all the way to the gate. You know, it was, it was five of us. And um, 
So they're getting ready to go. Last call, you know, teary goodbyes and kisses, you know, for high school teenagers and stuff, you know, and I'm standing there with two sobbing girlfriends and uh, they leave and they go down to galley. And so the girlfriends are, I got one, one tearing on each shoulder, you know, and uh, <laughs> sniffling. And I said, you know, Sarah, that was um, Rich's uh, girlfriend and subsequently wife. I said, you know, Sarah, I don't trust Rich and I, and the other girl. I don't trust Joe. <laughs> I said, you know, I got to go keep an eye on them, you know, just to make sure they don't do anything stupid. Here's the keys of the car. My dad will drive you home. <laughs> drive to my house, please. And I said, I'm going to keep an eye on them. I showed him my ticket. <laughs> wow. And of course, they were both shocked, you know. So I went down the galley and then, of course, their eyes were like, saucers when i walked down the airplane <laughs> and uh that's how i went to the academy and uh so you're not going to be inspired uh, uh class of 26 because <laughs> i went to the air force academy on a dare but you had been recruited and yeah. you welcomed uh by at least the staff on the yeah. Right? yeah i wasn't the most highly recruited guy there that's for sure but yeah i was always recruited so and then when, uh when they first what, what happened? Pardon me? When they fired the cannon on our second day, what happened? When they fired the cannon, when? Sorry. Our second day of Beast. What? Oh. Oh. You remember? Uh, I, I was there. I mean, I, I. I know you were there. That's what I'm asking. What did you. What. Did that change your mind? What happened there? I mean, what. What. What fired off inside of Mike Warden to keep him there if you went there on a dare? Uh, well, competitiveness. Yeah. And then, you know, when we went through BCT, um, it so happened, it was, didn't, what, probably didn't happen to anybody else in our class, but Ben Martin, the football coach, made sure that uh, Rich, Richie and Mike Warden were in the same squadron. So we were, in, we were in both six together and roommates. How's that? Okay. And then, and then uh, uh, anyway, so, and then we split up, of course, after that. And uh, Joe Lang had quit his first year. And then um, he, he quit like a, a week or two, not a week or two, about a month into it. And, and then uh, so he went back to L.A. and Rich and I stuck it out. And um, so I think between, you know, he was such a good friend. I didn't want to let him down. And then pretty soon I got to be making other friends from my classmates who became because of the adversity we were going through together, they became far closer friends than any of the old high school buds that I'd spent more years with. So, you know, it, it just, the challenges we went through together, uh, how we pushed each other beyond what we thought we could do together. So the team building uh, uh, from people from all over this country that built a, a bond of friendship and a bond of trust that would carry on through graduation as, as classmates and academy grads, but into professions within the Air Force where you are risking your life and depending upon the performance of your wingmen to keep you alive. And so it was just a, it was just that sort of a journey. And so, I mean, the first year I went back to LA to see my parents and stuff like that, or friends, uh, there had been a big gulf. I was so different now after having gone to the academy, I, I was with different people in a different world, different challenges, sort of an accelerated life compared to my old high school buddies and stuff like that. So, so that's how uh, it took shape. 
And what really made this dare turn to be a, a very lucky uh, good fortune for me was um, the bonds of that, that competition and teamwork uh, build, whether it's uh, being under a stressful mental situation or a stressful physical situation or the environment that they put you in and uh, either drove you through or you drove yourself through was uh, something that really appealed to me. And that goes back to my first uh, sentence, I guess, in this podcast. And that is, you know, you have a commitment to excellence, right? To do your very best in everything you do. And everybody, every, and, and most of the cadets I looked around me, they were, they were trying to do that too. So uh, I would never have become what I became if I didn't have those uh, really good habits being uh, in that environment in uh, those most formative years of my life. And that kind of sets you on a course for the rest of your life, whether you're in the military or you're in a civilian job or you're, um, I don't care what you're doing uh, and thereafter, it, it sets your character for life. And it was a great trajectory that I got launched on unknowingly and unwittingly uh, in those um, those early years at the Air Force Academy. So I need to uh, ask you a question. Uh, a lot of us sat on the sidelines and watched your thing. And I'm real curious, what was it like to be a, a varsity athlete at such a high-profile deal while you're a cadet? Was that, I mean, how different was that for you? For I mean, everybody else, well, most of us were just trying to survive the place and you were, you're being put on a, on a national stage almost every week for a while. And I'm just curious, what was that like for you? Well, I don't think it was any different. I mean, being a young man at that time, I, 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 uh, it was sort of a, a continuance of what we had done in BCT or in Siri or in some of the more rigorous elements of, of our, of our training and our education. So it was competition. It was teamwork. It was focus. It was uh, determination, resiliency, highs and lows, stick together, do your best. Sometimes it's not good enough. Sometimes it is. So uh, it was just another level of, of um, I'll call it training, practice, and focus. And that, that plays well in the Air Force flying game, too, later on. So, so yeah, I, I, I just was a normal cadet, a normal competitive cadet trying to fit into a team and trying to help the team do the best uh, that it could with the, uh, the individual talents and efforts and sacrifices that everybody makes. So it's just another venue, a highly visible venue and a very physical venue, but it's, it's not that different from, from other, well, it's probably a little more sophisticated, more challenging than say intramural football. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, but I, I think I think the message and, I, and you did it really well. I want the people listening in to understand that the the athletes at the academy are not treated; they're treated slightly special for diet and things and and their workload, but they are part of the class. They go through all the same garbage everybody else goes through. Yeah, uh, more so than I've seen probably lately. But um, yeah, no, we we had to do. We marched. We got our tours deferred during football season because we couldn't march them on the weekend because we had to play football. But no, we had to do the academics. We had to do the military stuff. Uh, we had to do all the extracurricular activities, except um, we had, and, and we, 
you know, we would come in the gym and work out on Saturdays and Sundays, you know, yeah, you, could, you didn't have time for drill and stuff. I understand that. <laughs> but they don't, was, do dr- they don't do drill anymore anyway, I heard. Yeah, well, it wasn't special. That we didn't get that much of a break. It was more like club football than big time NCAA, you know. Yeah. Or... Yep. And then uh, just a personal fact, what was Ben Martin like up close? Because none of us, uh, he, you know, he was the coach and we never, none of us really got to talk to him, but you got to talk to him a lot. Yeah. <laughs> he got to talk to me more than I got to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, he he was a very uh, distinguished, uh, calm, um, a bit aloof uh, man. And he had been to the Sugar Bowl and he had a great reputation when we first got there. And and it was interesting because when I was in high school, we ran the triple option. (laughs) And so... I was pretty good at running the triple option. But then when I came to the academy in those years, we ran the I formation, just a, a pro set and an I formation and a, a, a non-option <laughs> team. So I, so uh, it was a little different for me to transition. But, but he was always very, um, very calm and um, somewhat aloof from the position coaches. Um, but he spent more time talking to me than probably any other player. And, uh, he was always calm and reassuring and, and, uh, he told me what the plays were on occasion. He asked me what, what I think would be a good play. Uh, but, um, but I always had a lot of respect for him. Uh, he, even if, you know, I wasn't in any position to judge somebody that had coached for as long as he had at, at Division One football, for me to question a call like you know, uh, you know, I would I might think, are we going to run forty six boom again, which is an <laughs> run, but you know, I I never I never questioned his his credibility. I mean, how could I? I was just a cadet, just a player, um, but um, he was. Um, I thought he was a very distinguished. Uh, calm uh, man he never blew up on the sidelines and uh, uh, he wasn't over overly uh, critical and he wasn't overly um, I'll call it encouraging right so he was kind of kind of level set uh, basically uh, kind of we all thought on the sidelines he he was not going to get you too fired up or too down so that that that's interesting Yeah, yeah, no, even keeled guy, always calm. So I know you you started the last two years as the quarterback for us. Yeah. Um, you ran for more than you passed, so you must have done some kind of option thing. <laughs> Maybe not an option, but no, I was just running for my life. That's right. <laughs> for your life, okay. <laughs> we, we'll blame John Hazen for that. Right? <laughs> no, no, no. At one time, I had the passing record. I had something like I don't know, I can't remember something like thirteen completions in a row but that lasted about a year or two maybe <laughs> well they got you they got you on the record book and the media guide is one of the top five percentage games for completion something like that yeah. 12, 12 of 14 against army and yeah, it was army. yeah it was, i think it was army the senior year I, we, yeah. we won well, we won i think yeah. 30 to 3 or something like that i can't remember but yeah, yeah there was uh of course it was army so <laughs> so, so, so it was a yeah. whole game, so but anyway. So the the other big uh, 
the story you've told me, and I want the folks to hear this, is uh, you were able to win the Lazy Boy once upon a time. Oh, jeez. And now yeah. you got to kind of bring everybody back to the game yeah. triggered that, then then take them out to the, uh, the after the game, the, the post-cadet life. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me see. Uh, it was our senior year. We were playing Notre Dame at home. Notre Dame was, I think, number one in the nation. I think they were national reigning champs or something like that. And uh, and they came, and we uh, we got got out quickly, got way ahead of them. And I think it was uh, thirty to ten or something yep, like 30 that. Thirty to ten with about I don't know six minutes left in the game or something, and then. God interfered on Notre Dame's side and, and a guy named Joe Montana. And he, they threw, they got three touchdowns in the last six minutes of the game to win the game 31 to 30, despite a couple of real dubious pass interference calls. Uh, but that's how it played out. So we ended up losing the game 31 to 30. And of course, Joe Montana was the big hero. And then after the game, uh, I don't know how this stuff plays out. I was just a little, just a cadet. Uh, but um, it came down from the uh, the NCAA or whatever that I was I was selected player of the week, and I I don't know whether this was the NCAA offensive player of the week or some other you know, section player of the week or whatever. But anyway, I was player of the week. I got this big certificate, and it says you go to your local uh, lazy boy. Uh, furniture store and pick out the best lazy lazy boy chair you can you won this because you won this award well i knew that was against cadet rules so i just had this certificate right and and uh it was sent to me the coach handed it down to me and everything else so anyway i just kept it and then uh once we graduated i was not under those those ncaa player rules and all that other stuff so um I think it was John Hazen. Was it John Hazen? That, that's that's what he says. So he yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. So I went there and says, "Hey, I got this certificate, and I'm, I'm just a poor cadet. I don't know how much we were making, but we weren't making very much, <laughs> and and uh, much money as a brand new second lieutenant." So I said, "Hey, John, uh, let's go pick out a lazy boy. I got this piece of paper." You know, I got to start furnishing something because I've got no furniture. I've got a car. That's about all I have. Car and so a little bit of clothes, a little bit of civvies, and uh, so we went down and picked out a lazy boy chair, and and uh, and and then I got it until I don't know where it is now. I think my wife got rid of it, <laughs> <laughs> but you had it for a long time, is what I hear you saying. You know, she probably made a couple of moves, and then it probably either got beat up or or whatever. But but anyway, uh, that was the uh, story of the uh, of the lazy boy chair. So I, I know you went to upon graduation. You were one of the. Were you one of the top forty guys? Were you an honor grad? Uh, I think so. I mean, I can't remember. I know I was up there. I was a soups list every every semester. Yeah. So that, and just for those listening, in the soup has a list. If you're great in conduct, great in aptitude, and great in grades, they put you on the superintendent's list. And if you're like Ron Barron and I, you, you're on the superintendent's other list, which is they're trying to kick you out, but they don't. <laughs> do it well that's where most most of the talent is you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) it depends on what you call talent but yes (laughs) and then so mikey graduate and you go to reese and you get your wings and i and i 
I need to ask you a tough question. That is, how do we handle loss as, as officers in the military, especially flying officers? Because well, I know you suffered a pretty big loss. Yeah, so interestingly enough, um, my best friend from high school, Rich Ritchie, and I um, um, graduated, and, and uh, I did not get married. And uh, Rich married his high school sweetheart, Sarah, you know, the one that I left at the airport with, with my dad's keys. And um, so I went back to be the best man at his wedding in L.A. right after graduation. And um, then uh, we both went to Reese. We both got, uh, we're from different cadet squadrons as firsties, et cetera. But we both did fairly well in, in T-41, and we, we both ended up in the same class at um at reese and one of the things i had to do is i had to have knee surgery from football injuries before i could be pilot qualified right so i had knee injuries so i wasn't in the very first class at reese but i was in like the second or third class after healing from my knee surgery and uh rich happened to be in that class right so we started we got back together which was great we thought it was kind of was divine or from god that not only did we go to the academy together as roommates as duallys but we graduated together we played football together and we we're going to the same pilot training class you know and then sarah's now living with him and um, you know and i'm off in the boq somewhere at reese air force base so we went through pilot training together and we ended up at the top of our class so so we got uh, you know, when the draft comes around uh, at pilot training and they, you put in for back then, you put in for what you want and then you see if there's enough available and it's a supply demand thing. And and I got uh, I got my first choice, which was an F4 to Germany, and he got his first choice, was, which was an A10. So we um, we went off to fighter leading together in Alamogordo. And uh, we lived next door in these two uh, uh, 20 foot trailers stacked like cordwood in the middle of a desert out near Hall mm. Air Force Base. And we, we went through the four months of training there. And then he went to uh, RTU training uh, to get into his weapon system, which was the A 10 uh, in uh, Tucson, Arizona. Uh, and then I went to uh, outside of Phoenix at Luke Air Force Base. And he was down at Davis Monthan in Tucson. I was up at Luke outside of Phoenix. Okay. And so, uh, we were going through in parallel our what was called back then uh, RTU class. Uh, and I was flying the F4 and he was flying the A10. And it just happened, so happened that we ended up at the top of our, our classes there. And um, so we had this big graduation exercise where we were going to uh, the students were going to brief it and lead it, and the I, the instructor pilots, of course, would be in the backs of of um, the airplane, uh, the F, the two seat airplane F four, and then the uh, and of course on the wing, uh, every other wingman would be an, an IP at the uh, for the A tens, which is a single seat. Okay. So, so Rich and I talked to each other beforehand. I say, hey, look, I'm briefing uh, my my stuff. Here's the plan. You, you're seeing the, the the same scenario, right? Thing. So we did a little bit of thing, and he briefed his his A10s. I briefed the F4s, and uh, the scenario was that the the uh, National Guard out of uh, New Mexico. They're flying A7s, and I think there was another 
uh, Arizona unit, reserve unit. Uh, they were going to be the bad guys. And the mission was that the uh, F-4s were going to take off and the F-4s would sort of do the air superiority mission. And then the A-10s would come in and, and drop live weapons and strafe with their, their massive GAU-8 cannon, 30 millimeter cannon. A, a, um, some convoys that were out in the desert in the bombing range, the Goldwater bombing range out there. So we're pretty excited, pretty young, and uh, you know we talked to each other the night before and said, "Hey, good luck out there. I'll see you on the radio." So we went out and uh, took off and climbed out, and mission went like a normal air-to-air mission. We saw the saw the bogies, the bad guys out there, and we started engaging them and trying to make sure that they were preoccupied so that so that um, Rich and his A-10s could come in and tear up the target on the ground, right? So, right. so um, we were engaged in the mission, and I heard Rich's voice, and Rich's voice came over the radio and said, um, nail 1-1, one, one, IP inbound. And then nail 1-1 one, one was him. He was a leader. And then um, I think my call sign was Rhino 1-1, one, one, which was the, the leader of the – the rhinos was an uh, F4 uh, nickname. And, um, and so um, I heard him call IP inbound, which is the initial point inbound. And then I uh, heard him call up, which means he's breaking, he's flying very low. Up means he's popping his nose up. He's flying up in the air so he can see the target. And then he's going to come at a, at a dive angle down on the, uh, on the target area and strafe it with his live ammunition. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this is the terrain out there is desert, you know, cactus or a cactus. And, and there's little ridges out there, if not huge mountains, but small ridges and et cetera. And it's um, near Gila Band, a little south of there called uh, on the Goldwater bombing range. So he calls up and in. And then the next thing I see is I look down at the target area and I could see... Uh, him go in because I could see his plan form of his wing up. And then I, I looked back at my cockpit, look at my radar, looked out and then came down again. And the next thing I uh, see is a, an A-10 cartwheeling on a ridge t- uh, or a small mm-hmm. in and turning into a big fireball. And so immediately there's a knock it off, knock it off call. The war is over. Um, and I had just seen my, Wow, we, what were we, 24 years old then? Yeah, you're a long-time buddy. My lifetime buddy died right there, and I, and I happened to see it. So uh, we knocked it off. Everybody went home. Uh, apparently, Rich had come off the target after strafing the convoy and had made a hard turn to the left, and his left um, wingtip had... Uh, Hit the ground. And he cartwheeled, cartwheeled and then blew up. So anyway... Uh, we got home uh, to Luke. Um, I went and told the squadron commander uh, what had happened, that the, that the guy that had died was, was my lifelong be- best friend. Yeah. And I, I asked for permission to uh, go with a chaplain, to meet up mm-hmm. with a chaplain to go see Sarah down in uh, Davis Montham, down in Tucson. So we drove down that night, uh, and um, I met up with the chaplain, and then we went to Sarah. And uh, broke the news to her. And, I can tell you, Mike, as a as a twenty four year old, that would have been that that's really tough. I, I 
I didn't have to do that. I was prepared to do that as a 35, 40 year old, but not as a 25 year old. Well, I didn't have a choice, right? I know, but I mean, I'm oh, just, yeah. I have to, who didn't make it uh, similar kind of stories. Um, I wasn't in the region or I would have gone to see their families. And I, and I just, that that's quite a, uh, that's quite a tough thing to have to deal with. Uh, just the, the military aviation, it you know, can be all laughy, happy, scratchy for a while, but it, it is a very serious business. Yeah. So I just close the story out real quick. I, I spent the night with her, called her parents in LA, uh, asked her if she wanted to stay there or go back to LA. She wanted to, uh, uh, go back to LA. She stayed for her friends to say, come by. Then we went to LA. So I went to LA with her and I, you know, fortunately it was a last sortie of grad. So I didn't need any more sorties after that to, to graduate from RTU, but went back to LA and, uh, I knew his mom real well. So we spent time in LA and then, uh, uh Sarah wanted him and, and I supported it, uh, to be buried at the air force Academy. So okay. LA, we went to the Air Force Academy. They got his remains uh, and took him up to uh, the Air Force Academy, and and we buried him there. And uh, every year, uh, when uh, we have a reunion, uh, thirty-five every year that I've been to a reunion, um, thirty-five has gone to uh, uh, his graveyard or his gravesite uh, because they knew that. You know, I and 35 was a was a very close friend of his. And then we go to two other uh, grave sites from um, other uh, classmates uh, that have died in military crashes that were in 35. And uh, we go see them and then we we toast them at the end. So it's a little 35 thing. When we get back, we go down to the cemetery all the time and visit visit wow. those guys. So anyway, that's a story. And it was yeah, it, it happened pretty quick. Uh, but, uh, there's nothing, you know, I, my dad always told me, he says, there's two things that'll accelerate your maturity. He said, one, one is getting married and having a family. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, the other one is, is, um, facing a close friends or relatives death. Yeah. Uh, he told me that when I was in high school and it sure was true early in my life. So. Yeah, and I agree. Both of those are very, very uh, intense, and and you know, not to make light of any of this, but um, then you went to Germany, so that that would that I assume that break was pretty healthy for you to get away for a while. Well, yeah, I, I went to Germany, and I got I got I got married before I uh, went there, uh, but I couldn't bring my wife uh, because um, we. We had to have housing, and back then we didn't have housing during the Cold War. We had to go find housing, and I found a basement of a of a German farmer's house. Oh wow! It was kind of right near the pigs, but it was it was furnished. <laughs> so the manger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I went and brought her. And I had to go, you know, take the bus and go to Frankfurt and meet her and pick her up and then take her because they wouldn't let uh, people there um, bring any spouses or families over and unless they had housing for them so anyway so i went and got her and got her there and she was really impressed i mean after housing or a pig sty. <laughs> yeah anyway so it was a beginning of an adventure and she's still married to me so i didn't screw it up too that, that, well no she 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 signed on for the deal so that's good 
my screen. Again. Say that again, please, John. Were there any? Uh, I don't want to skip over it too quickly, but were there any uh, so, some significant things of your military career? Because you had quite a career. Oh well, I don't know. I mean, I really enjoyed flying fighters. I really enjoyed being in um, um, most of the wars uh, for my uh, period of service. So I was involved in. Interestingly, as a, in that first assignment, I was involved in the Iranian hostage rescue mission a little bit. And then the next thing is I was involved right in the middle of Desert Storm. And then the next thing was I was involved in um, Kosovo and then uh, 2003 invasion of Iraq. Um, and I got over to Afghanistan after that, but that was, you know, well after 9-11. So like 2005 or something, I got over to Afghanistan. So I was able in my Air Force career to have the honor and privilege of serving with uh, airmen uh, in combat zones, um, virtually every one of them. Uh, so anyway, that was a, a, a proud to serve in the air and then on the ground as a commander. So I, I was blessed. Uh, the other thing I was blessed with is we didn't have a, we didn't have to fight a near-peer competitor, right? Uh, during our time in history, along the long blue line, yep. uh, I had a pretty, pretty easy, pretty uneven fights going on. Uh, you didn't know that at the time, of course, because there's yeah. there's uncertainty when you're in it, uh, how the how it's going to come out or what it's going to be like. But, but I uh, I had a uh, I had a weak field uh, compared to what we were. We didn't have to go against a peer uh, like we did in World War II. So I, I'm hesitant to take any credit other than to say that the, those guys in the Vietnam generation, uh, those classes before us at the academy, yeah. um, after their lousy experience, um, they taught us to be better than they were and they demanded it. And uh, I think that played a little bit in, in, in how well we did. And I, I, I would hope that my generation, John, you're in our generation, has, has just kept the bar inching upwards in terms of, uh, of performance and well, expectations. Let's hope we don't have to find out anytime soon. But Absolutely. I feeling, yeah, I got a feeling we might. Um, so I also noticed in your resume that there's a couple of stints at Duke University. Yeah. Um, this was weird because I, <laughs> I was, I was, when I came back from uh, my first tour in Germany as a first Lieutenant, and I think I made captain there. Um, I was involved in a, uh, Irene hostage rescue mission. And then the, um, they had this thing called palace chase, I think it was, or something like that. And it, what it was in the fighter world was, hey, we need some young guys to fly these new airplanes like F-15s and F-16s. And um, uh, we don't just want a bunch of experienced majors in them. We need some young guys in it, you know, to be young fighter instructor pilots. And, and so I got offered to, to be an F-15s and that would have amounted to me. Yeah, so... Uh, so when I came back from Germany, I got a palace chase offer. I uh, was offered an F-15 at Kadena. Asked my wife, who hadn't seen me at all, because I was gone like 90 days for the hostage, uh, Iranian hostage rescue mission. 
And um, she says, no go on Okinawa. I mean, I'm hardly <laughs> seeing you. And, and you've got me pregnant twice, right? So I had <laughs> two little kids right off the bat. And uh, and uh, she didn't want to go to Japan. So I, I went back to the wing commander and said, uh, sorry, I have to decline it, sir. Uh, and uh, I thought I, my career was over. And um, <clears throat> about three months later, they came back and said, how about an F-16 to McDill? So I said, great. So I went to McDill, was one of the youngest guys there as an instructor pilot. And they were opening up McDill as a F-16 training house, basically. And then uh, when I was there, I went to test pilot. I was a test pilot also, and uh, I was going to be the first in the first class at the uh, fighter weapons school in the F-16 because mm -hmm. I had a, uh, so much time in it and I was pretty young. And so uh, uh, the wing commander then um, canceled my orders to Nellis to be in the uh, weapons school as a cadre, initial cadre for, for the F-16 at the fighter weapons school in Nellis. And said, "No, you're going to Duke University instead." And <laughs> I was, I was crushed. Yeah. All I wanted to be was the world's best fighter pilot, and uh, thought I was kind of on my way. I'd won the wing. I won the Top Gun as a really young captain, uh, you know, in the wing of of instructors. And and then he says, "No, you're going to Duke University." And I was crestfallen. I mean, I. Um, my, I was brokenhearted. I thought well, the world had ended for me. Uh, and, uh, so I went there and, um, the guy that told me to go there was a guy named Ron Fogelman who became chief <laughs> of the air force. Okay. And then I found out when I got there that he had gone to Duke university and okay. I was, I was going through the same program he was going through. So, so you had a mentor, you had a mentor, even though you didn't know it. I didn't even know it. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so I went there and, um, and uh, you know, I was so cocky. I was so confident in my flying abilities and stuff like that, that I, um, I thought that I went into a civilian environment and I had good grades at the academy. So, uh, you know, this is just going to be another pushover. Yeah. Probably wait to get back in the cockpit. So I went in with an arrogant attitude and could hardly wait to get out of there. And uh, uh, part of the deal was I, I went there, got my master's degree, and then I go to the Air Force Academy and teach and um, coach footballs and coach fly and teach flying. So I said, well, that, that's pretty good. I just want to get through this as quick as I can. I went there and I was intellectually humiliated. I mean, I was, I, I remember my first, first book review, the professor wrote more, uh, uh, on my uh, page and a half book review than I had typed into it. <laughs> That's how bad I was. <laughs> but one thing I learned about going to Duke was I learned how to think. Yeah. And I learned really, really how to, how to think, uh, how, you know, it was, it was a stepping outside the, the military career. Uh, I really hate, I didn't like academics at the academy. But boy, when I got to Duke and when I went through the, the, the program they had and tried to survive in it and then started doing pretty good in it because I'm fairly resilient, I started to love academics and I loved history and I loved uh, poli sci. And I, I took a lot of other courses there to get through the master's before I left. And what it, again, 
uh, it's such great professors there uh, that uh, that I just learned a lot. And I learned how to write, and I learned how to how to think a little better, and how to communicate better. Uh, and I learned a lot more diction. <laughs> and anyway, so when I went back out of there and I went to the academy to teach the next year, I coached football and I I taught uh, T41s there, and it was a great assignment. Uh, but they had to get me back into the fight. They had a uh, fighter pilot shortage. So I only lasted about a little under two years uh, at, um, at the Academy after that, before I went back to Germany for, um, for more, more flying uh, and more back into the fighter world. So it was a great excursion. What I thought was disastrous and a career ender ended up being a booster because it really discriminated me from, I'll call it good, good instructor pilots, because now I, I looked at the world differently. I had, I had a broader experience than most of my peers. Um, I had a better understanding of warfare, I think, a better understanding of, of, of history and leadership and stuff like that. So at that time, kind of as a sabbatical away from the rat race of, of being a fighter pilot uh, was distinct. Uh, I didn't say the wrong words distinguished. But it discriminated me from yeah. the normal, from the normal uh, fighter pilots, and it served me well because I, I think when we got back into discussions and command discussions, leadership discussions, and stuff, I had a little bit of a, the privilege of a little bit of a different background to bring some, a different perspective to, to maybe possible solutions or possible identify, uh, a possible um, root cause analysis of a problem. Well, then you went back to Duke after that to get a PhD, right? Yeah, because I'd loved it so much that, and they teased me and I was, I had, I only, they only gave me 11 months to get through the program. So I had to, I had to go to school at night. I had to go to school in the summer. I had to uh, double load and um, it got me teasingly close on the path to a PhD. So the next time, uh, see, that was, so the next time is, is I'm back in Germany and, um, I'm at the top of my flying game. I think it was a major. I was a mission commander. I was uh, early promotion, uh, uh, and they had a squadron lined up for me, F-16 squadron out in Germany. And um, then Desert Storm hit. And, of course, I went to Desert Storm and was a leader, a mission commander of, of a lot of the early missions and and then I, uh, so I, I fought in Desert Storm and flew a lot of sorties and did a lot of flight leading and mission commandering in there. And, and then after that ended and um, the generals uh, wouldn't let me leave, they kept me on the battle staff. <laughs> the whole squadron went back to Germany and I was the only guy that didn't come home. And um, they kept me there for provide comfort uh, as, as one of the lead planners. And provide comfort was when they were trying to save the courage from the right. public. Right. So I was in with the special forces in northern Iraq after the first uh, after the, uh, Desert Storm. You're on the ground. Yeah, yeah. And so, <laughs> well, I was also in the air because I had okay. to fly everybody in because I knew where all the SAM sites were and the AAA sites and yeah. all the because I'd been flying over it just about every day. So they kept my experience behind, which is which was me, <laughs> and then gave me a job as uh, KOC. Combined Air Operations Center director, and I had four O sixes working for me, and I had just pinned on Lieutenant Colonel. <laughs> so, oh wow! So anyway, I I didn't make a lot of friends there, but 
um, they, they could use my experience. And once they got up to speed, I was anxious to get home, but I didn't get home till everybody closed up shop and provide comfort. So my wife, uh, had given up frankly, and, uh, <laughs> she left Germany and gone back home to Seattle and, uh, with our, uh, one, our two little girls, no, three little girls at the time. So, um, so I, when I finally got released, it's a, it's a funny story. I had to play liar's dice with the general there. And it was at the bar and I, I've been playing it my whole life. And he had, he's a big army general and uh, he was the commanding general there. And so we were drinking and, and whiskey and I got him drunk and I kept letting him win. And then I said, okay, round, this is the round. You let me, I win, I go home. You win, uh, you, you can keep me here as long as you want. And he says, okay. And anyhow, I won. I won. I, yeah. So next day inside my tent, uh, uh, the door opens and the panel of the tent and uh, this guy's standing out there and says, uh, are you a major warden? I said, uh, yeah. And he goes, grab your C4, uh, grab your bag, your, uh, grab your bags. Uh, you you got to get it on an airplane. And so <laughs> I got my bags. I was smelling like cigar smoke and whiskey. <laughs> I got out and uh, there he was. He, you know, he had ordered his of his drivers to take me to an airplane and let me go wherever I wanted to go. And he said, so I went and got in this 141, and and this guy from the Mississippi Guard says, "Are you are you War Dog?" And I said, uh, "Yes, sir. I am his lieutenant colonel." I said, "Yes, sir. I am." He says, "Well, I've been ordered by General So and So to take you wherever you want to go," and and. Uh, and, and I've been I've been told that you can you can fly the airplane too. So I said, okay, move over. So <laughs> I got in and I said, you keep you keep me out of trouble. I flew the ones I taxied and, and took off and flew the 141 all the way to Spangdahlem, Germany, until we're on short final on the ILS approach. And I said, okay, you better take because I'll probably flare too late because I don't have yeah. <laughs> a little different uh, airframe. Yeah, yeah so I came home, went home, went to my little house. And nobody home, just a note from my wife said, Hey, nobody would tell us when you were coming home. You've been gone for, you know, well, I don't know how long it was, months, a few months after everybody else. And uh, I've gone home to Seattle. So call my mom in Seattle. And so I did. I called her from Germany and she says, Okay, you're home now. Okay. So I begged her to, I went to the squadron and said, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to take command of the squadron and take him as the first F-16 group into Poland. I need to put my marriage back together. So yeah, they, uh, they let me. And I said, here's, here's the deal. He says, you're going to lose the squadron when you do this. I said, that's okay. Um, I still haven't pinned on Lieutenant Colonel yet, <laughs> officially. Um, so uh, I need to put my family back together. And the general there was a new general because they'd all turned over after the war. By the time I got back, it was a whole new command chain there. And uh, so they sent me up to safety headquarters where the general, the four star knew me and went up there. And I said, sir, I, you know, if you don't let me go, you know, I says, I don't want the command. I, I need to put my marriage back together. And he said, OK, we got to find a follow on assignment for you. And I says, what do you want to do? And I said, send me back to Duke for a Ph.D. Cool. Said, what? I sent me back to Duke and a couple of the other generals stood up for me and I got the orders. And um I went and picked my wife up in Seattle. We went to Duke and I got my PhD there. 
And then you ended up in Alaska, right? Well, no, then I went to War College. It was Army War College, thanks to okay. General Fogelman, who uh, I didn't know, but he went to Army War College, too. So I <laughs> went to Army War College, and then I went to uh, take command in Alaska. Yeah. And that, and then uh, now Ileson, that's pretty far up there. That's up by Fairbanks, or is that farther up? Oh, that's Fairbanks. That's, okay. That's real Alaska, not the banana belt at Elmendorf and Anchorage. <laughs> Yeah, we we lived in Elmendorf when I was a little kid, so I I know what I I, I know I never never made it up to Fairbanks, but we did get to Wasilla, so that that that's as far north as we got. Um, and then uh, that's when your command stuff started. You ended up uh, Italy and some other places uh, being a, a group commander, right? Wing commander. Yeah, yeah. Well, which one? Italy? Yeah. Well, yeah just yeah, you had different yeah. different. That was in and run from there on out. Yeah, so it was all commander from there on until I went back to the staff. I had to go back to the staff. Now, so, you ended up, how many active duty years did you do for the Air Force? 33. And two stars, right? Yep. What uh, what got you to leave, or were you was that pretty much out of gas by then? <laughs> well, I don't know. I was pretty ambitious. I wasn't out of gas. Uh, it was just a question of timing, you know. When you get into three and four stars, it's it's... Well, it, it's for the long blue line, it's um, three and four star is a lot about being in the right place in the right time and and known by the right people. So I don't know. It's it's it happens not just to our class. It'll happen to every class. You just have to make a personal professional decision. That's all. And then after the Air Force, what'd you do? Well, I was it was a lot of. Um, at my going away speech or going away party at the uh, at Langley Air Force Base at Air Combat Command Headquarters, uh, a lot of the um, the big defense industry uh, seniors came, and uh, I told them, and uh, I, I I mentioned I said, look, I I don't want to be a Beltway Bandit, uh, so if if any of if any, but I am interested in still helping the Air Force. Uh, but it's going to have to be in the Rocky Mountains West, closer to my home in Montana. Uh, and uh, so uh, if it plays out, it plays out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, you know, thanks for supporting uh, your nation's Air Force. And then I got a call uh, after I retired uh, from Lockheed Martin, and they said, how would you like to to do something is Texas. And I said, no, not Texas. I said, Rocky Mountains or West. I've been around fighters my whole life. I don't need to be near the F-35. Give me something that's intellectually challenging. And they said, huh, do you do ISR? And I said, no, that'd be a good one. So I, I did ISR out of Denver and I did it for six years as an uh, executive in Lockheed. I learned a lot about how to be a businessman. Then I left Lockheed after six years and tried to start my own business in Denver. I swung for the fences. It didn't work. Uh, I couldn't raise enough. I needed to raise $300 million along with an uh, international banker, a very rich, rich guy that was my partner. Uh, and we could only raise $46 million. And um, it was a big swing. Uh, it, was, um, it was trying to build stratospheric airships. Okay. Uh, but it didn't work. And that lasted about two or three years, I think. And then after that, I got decided to go. Uh, my, my wife 
decided to go, her third daughter uh, had decided to join her other two sisters up in the Puget Sound area, where one of them was working for Boeing and another one was working for some E, you know, E company. And um, so the youngest one was in Denver with us and she said, I'm going to be with my sisters. So my wife says, I'll see you later. (laughs) (laughs) So we ended up coming to Leavenworth and then I commuted for six or eight years to, from Denver to, um, to Seattle every weekend. And then finally uh, one of the kids uh, started to have grandbabies and, and I decided, yeah, it's time to, to leave this uh, business, and then um, and then I got offered a job in Seattle to by the mayor to work directly for the mayor on a problem she had, and then uh, that was before you know the the riots of twenty twenty. That was before COVID. That was before. Yeah. <laughs> that was before yeah. a lot of stuff. And Mike, yeah, yeah. that's so, when Mike and I actually met. But that that's a different story for a different time, probably. This is taking a long time anyway, so too much time. Now, and anyway, so now you're running a B and B in Leavenworth, right? No, my wife runs it. She's the five star. I just salute to the dish. Janitor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, Mike, I thank you very much for this. I, I, uh, I, I, people don't want they they don't care about our Seahawks fandom, so that that'll that, that won't go over <laughs> well. But yeah. I appreciate you being here, and 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 from one of the fans in the crowd, I, I, I again, I. I know you had a great military career. I know you had a, a solid cadet career, but I want to thank you again for representing us uh, everywhere really well. That was well, really wonderful of you. I'm very proud of our class, and I'm proud to know most all the guys in uh, in the Pink Panthers, and I was so, so glad we hooked up again, uh, and hopefully we'll continue hooking up until we uh, we check out of this place. So, As I call it, until we pop off the planet. Yep. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Anyway, my best wishes to all you Pink Panthers out there, whether you're just coming into the class of 26 or whether you're in the class of uh, 76 and my my beloved classmates. Uh, best wishes to you all and uh, hope to get to see each one, each and every one of you in the future. Mm-hmm.